Welcome to this programme. It's Heart and Soul with David Wilkie and with me, Howard Simpson. And we'll head straight for the music. It's the Cambridge Singers with John Rutter's setting off for the beauty of the earth. The Cambridge Singers and John Rutter's setting off for the beauty of the earth. Coming up on Heart and Soul this morning, 
We'll be hearing more from the late Les Brown under the heading It Just So Happened. Malcolm Guite continues his series on the I Am sayings of Jesus. This time it's I Am the Gate. Willie Wright tells us a bit about the Scottish hymn writer Horatius Bonar. And towards the end of the programme, Adrian Plass reads another chapter from his book, The Unlocking. Somewhere along the way, we've got the notice board and, of course, we've got music. So, meantime, here are the Scottish festival singers with one of Horatius Bonner's hymns. It is, Fill Thou My Life, O Lord, My God. the Scottish Festival Singers with Fill Thou My Life, O Lord My God. That's one of the hymns of Horatius Bonham. 
But here's David with what's coming next. Les Brown was a pilot with Mission Aviation Fellowship in East Africa. Les has written about his experiences in a book called It Just So Happened. Today, Les describes his experiences flying in Kenya and a miraculous end to an emergency landing. I am always fascinated by the incident in the life of a man called Peter. He was broke. He faced up with his tax arrears and didn't know how to pay. It just so happened that when he was out fishing, he hooked a fish which just happened to have a gold coin in its mouth. You know the story. Why has that never happened to me or anyone else, as far as I know? Well, perhaps it has. I don't go fishing, and it could be a bit of a hassle exchanging a gold coin, but strange things do happen. I was ready to take off in my little six-seater mission aeroplane from a mission station in the north of Kenya, near the Ethiopian border. It was hot, sandy, semi-desert, and I was always happy to be airborne and get cooled off. The missionaries at that station were planning to build a house for themselves, but had sought the expertise of three professional builders before starting to build on sand. Normally it was only mission personnel we flew in the plane, so these builders, with no Christian connection, were an exception. All strapped in, I said. Let's pray before starting. A little laugh came from the back seat. Nevertheless, I prayed for a good safe flight of about 350 miles back to Nairobi. We set off south, away from Lake Turkana. I had been asked to pick up a missionary doctor at a place called Amudat in Uganda. I'd never been there before, so hoped that I would be able to find it. My colleague had marked it on my map where it was, but there was not much to navigate by. A range of mountains, my compass, my map, my watch. I found Amadat and picked up the doctor. Prayer answered yet again. Off now with my four passengers for a flight of about 250 miles to Nairobi. Down the Rift Valley, having left the wild country about 20 miles behind, we were nearing Nakuru, only another 100 miles or so to go. Splutter, 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 and the engine of our Cessna 185 stopped. One's heart tends to splutter a bit also when this happens. Fuel on, with feed from both tanks, plenty in the tanks, magneto switches both on, try emergency fuel system. No effect, it's only down. Now it just so happened that although this little aeroplane did journeys to mission stations working as far east as Kismayo in Somalia on the coast of the Indian Ocean, as far west as Obo in the Central African Republic, just on a thousand miles away, as far north as the Ethiopian border with Kenya and as far south as the southern border of, Tan- border of Tanzania, Oh, you can work out the thousands of square miles. It just so happened 
that 2,000 feet right below our powerless aircraft was my sister-in-law's farm. The only farm I knew that had an airstrip. I could see it, but not clearly, and was anxious to keep it in view while circling and losing 2,000 feet in height. I circled very close to the strip, keeping my eye on it all the time. This was nearly my undoing, but it was difficult to see in this map of fields. Slowly down, nobody saying a word. At last I was on a short final approach, and I was too high. Speed back to 60 miles per hour, miles per hour, full flap, still too high. Now this should have not been a great problem, but Cessna had recently brought out a directive that this type of aircraft should not be side-slipped, as it produced too much strain on the airframe. Thus we'd be, we had been instructed not to side-slip the aircraft to lose height, but to stick the nose down steeply and then pull up quite sharply, killing the excess speed. Too high, too fast. I approached the landing end of the strip. I knew I'd go off the other end, into a gully, unless I took some action. In other words, I had made a pig's breakfast off this emergency landing. It's great how one can do it this well in practice, but when it comes to the real thing, my speed was 80 miles per hour, and I had to lose 20 miles per hour quickly. I flew the main, wheel, main wheels onto the ground, pushed forward on the control column, tail up, nose down, and applied the brakes. Holding the aircraft on the ground with the flying controls and applying brake had the effect of wanting it to go over on its nose, so I had to be careful that the nose didn't get, too, get so low that the propeller struck the ground. The end of the airstrip was coming up fast, too fast. To avoid going off the end, I put on full right rudder and right brake. We skidded round and came to a halt at the end of the strip. Before we could open the doors to get out, the heavens opened and tropical rain just poured out of the sky. I realised that if the rain had fallen just ten seconds earlier, we would all be sitting at the bottom of a gully, having slid off the end of a very wet strip. I learnt a valuable thing from this experience. Peter's Lord is our Lord too. And what he can do for Peter, he can and does do for his people. The odds against the engine quitting over the farm of our only relative in all Africa and over her airstrip is beyond my mathematical powers of calculation. A gold coin in a fish's mouth wouldn't have been much comfort for these circumstances. And that was Les, Les Brown with It Just So Happened. Here's Praise Gathering. Now, we only heard a few bars of this one at the end of last week's Heart and Soul. So here's the whole thing, and it is Loved Before the Dawn of Time.
praise gathering and loved before the dawn of time. So we'll go to music and the next piece comes from the Nashville Singers and it's an old one, it's called At Calvary. singers. I think they're a sort of session choir, but I'm not sure about that. Anyway, the Nashville singers and the song was At Calvary. Now, it's over to David. Malcolm Guyte spoke at the Abbey Summer School in Edinburgh last year. On the last day of the conference he talked about the I Am sayings of Jesus. Today we hear Malcolm explaining the significance of Jesus describing himself as the door to the sheepfold. Malcolm finishes with the poem he wrote about Jesus being the door. In the sequence, if you're going through John, the next I am you get to is in John 10. So you've gone John 8 and 9, of course, are all about light. John 10 is all about sheepgates and sheepfolds and shepherds. And um, I am the door of the sheep. Um... I was very helped, and again, this is, I think it was just from a commentary I read, I can't remember who's a long time ago, um, trying to understand the two scenes in John, the one where he says, my sheep hear my voice and they know my voice and they'll know the voice of their shepherd, and they went, and then the later bit where he says, I am the door of the sheepfold, that somebody explained to me that apparently, you know, in the sort of, you know, 
Jesus' day in the villages and places like Nazareth, there'd be two kinds of sheepfold. There was a sort of central one which had proper walls and a keeper and everything, which was communal, like everybody's sheep in the whole village were all penned up for the night, you know, and somebody... They're right there where they would look after it and, and you know, be the, be the doorkeeper of it. And then in the morning, the shepherd boys, the lads that were taking them out to the pasture, would each stand there. And they, they didn't have the sheep sort of painted on. or They just literally called them or played music for them. And the sheep, who were always spending every day with the same lad, would recognise the voice of their own shepherd and come out and go into there. And then you'd take them off to the flocks. And at the beginning of the season, when you're taking your sheep out, the pastures were near enough that you could bring them safely back to that central pen each night. But when you ran out of the nearer pastures, the shepherds would have to venture further afield and um, go up into the higher pastures, um, leading the sheep in front. They would lead them from the front, of course. That's the way that the Lord's my shepherd, you know. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow, I'm not going to be afraid you're with me. But obviously it would be too far to come back, you know, every night to the same. So they had sort of like makeshift sheepfolds up there which were like a semicircular thing with a wall high enough for the sheep not to stray through or get over and it would just have a gap um, so you could get the sheep in a gap in the ring of stones and then the shepherd would lie down and curl up across the gap and literally make himself into the door so that if any of the sheep tried to stray out overnight they'd have to step over him and, you know, and he'd be, but I, likewise if a predator was coming or a robber he'd be right there is that, is that getting nods from the proper scholars here um, so that both the thing about the voice and the thing about the door but I found the thing I found that story about you know that lying down across the gap just hugely helpful personally to think about it what it means to be coming and going in and through Jesus and Jesus as the gate and the idea as it were that the sort of gap between me and the void and me you know, Jesus is literally laying his body down so that kind of enters into this poem a little bit. Um, though, in fact, what I decided to do was to start with the idea of doors. And I just began to think about the different doors in Jesus's life. There's something very attractive about the notion of Jesus as the door, I think. Um, and then I took it in a slightly different direction. So let's hear the, the passage from, from um, John. Then said Jesus unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. So I am the door of the sheepfold. Not one that's gently hinged or deftly hung. Not like the ones you planed at Joseph's place. Not like the well-oiled openings that swung so easily for Pilate's practiced pace. Not like the ones that closed in Mary's face from house to house in brimming Bethlehem. Not like the one that no man may assail that waits your breaking in Jerusalem. Not one you made, but one you have become load-bearing, balancing, a weighted beam to bridge the gap, to bring us within reach of your high pasture, calling us by name, 
You lay your body down across the breach yourself, the door that opens into home. gate and that was Morecambe Gate. Just a reminder though that you're tuned to Heartland FM on 97.5 or the digital access channel or heartland.scot and by Bridge FM if you're in one of the hospitals in the Dundee area. Uh, Welcome to Heartland FM and welcome to Heart and Soul this morning with David Wilkie and me Howard Simpson. We're still working from home with Sam Ross putting it all together for us. Quick reminder of our sister programme, Sounds Inspirational. 7 o'clock on Tuesday evenings, repeated on Thursday evenings at 10, uh, with Drew Scott and family in charge. So they're also working from home. But it's music now, and a song, well, this one's really following Malcolm Geith's poem on I Am the Gate. Uh, Jesus will keep us safe and secure. This is Selah, and he will hold me fast. <laughs> He must hold me fast. 
Sila and He Will Hold Me Fast. That's a song really for anyone whose faith is a bit wobbly at the moment, I guess. But it's now back to David. Willie Wright was minister of Pirochi Baptist Church for many years until his retirement. While here in Pirochi, Willie produced a series of talks about hymns and hymn writers. Today we hear about Horatius Bonar. 
Horatius Bonner was born in Edinburgh in 1808. Educated at the high school and Edinburgh University, where he studied for an MA, but never graduated, probably because, as someone has suggested, the great feeling was then that it was not worth the money it cost. He went on to Divinity Hall in Edinburgh, and he did successfully complete that course, and he did graduate. It was during his time as a student that he engaged in door-to-door visitation work, and also started writing verse. This would shortly include writing verses for children. The reason for this was simple. When he became missionary assistant in Leith, he was attracting many children to evangelistic meetings. But there was nothing suitable for them to sing, so he wrote his own material, and he used well-known tunes. After four years in Leith, he went to his first charge at the North Church in Kelso, which was a newly formed congregation in a new building. Bonner was clear about the direction of his sermons from the very beginning of his ministry. He wanted to strike the keynote of the new birth. He preached the gospel faithfully. He wrote tracts. Which were translated into other languages, he wrote books, and of course he wrote hymns. In his ministry in Kelso, which started in 1837, services on a Sunday were in the morning and the afternoon. That left the evening free, and Horatius Bonner used one Sunday evening per month for a children's service. At these services, his gown would go. And so too would the awe-inspiring solemnity of that usually that usually characterise the man. He would go among the children, he would settle them into their seats, and when he did speak to them, it was in a free and relaxed manner, which always engaged their attention. His ministry in the Church of Scotland was cut short in 1843 by the disruption and the setting up of the Free Church of Scotland. In 1865, he moved to the growing suburb in Grange, on the south side of Edinburgh, where a new church called the Chamers Memorial Church was being built. There were 60 members when he moved there, but over his 22 years as minister there, the membership grew from 60 to 805. He would preach in the open air, in the meadows, and in Parliament Square. And he continued his interest in children's work. He held a children's class every Sunday after the afternoon service, and just as he had done in Kelso, he had a children's meeting once a month on the evening of the first Sunday. The church officially seated one thousand people, but for these meetings, up to one thousand six hundred attended, including, of course, a number of adults. Throughout his ministry, he wrote his hymns. And had about six hundred of his hymns and poems published. They range over a whole variety of subjects, and they vary from the simple lyrics of his children's hymns to the deep feelings of communion. It was his custom at the end of each communion service to read a poem or a hymn on the subject of his communion sermon, and often he used one of his own, specially written for the occasion. Some of them are still used today. Like here, O my Lord, I see thee face to face. It is somewhat ironic that while the hymns of the minister of Grange Free Church were being sung all over the English-speaking world, one place where they were not sung was in his own church. It was the psalms that were sung, and paraphrases of Scripture, 
but most people in the Free Church disapproved of the so-called uninspired hymns being used in the sanctuary. Horatius Bonner preached his last sermon on the 11th of September, 1887, and he died two years later in his 81st year and was buried in the family burial ground in the Canongate churchyard in Edinburgh. He was a godly man and greatly appreciated by his fellow Christians in other denominations. And when D.L. Moody and Ira Sanke came to Edinburgh for their crusades, he was happy to share the platform with them, and he was happy too to write several hymns for inclusion in their sacred songs and solos. Hello, Willie right there, and with more from Willie next week. Here's one of Horatio Bonner's hymns. It's set here to a tune we all know well, Macapella, and I heard the voice of Jesus say, Come unto me and rest.
that light of life I'll walk till traveling days are done. And that was Machapella with I Heard the Voice of Jesus Say, Come Unto Me and Rest. Uh, the tune, well, that was, of course, the Rowan Tree, if um, you weren't sure about it. But anyway, let's go over to David again. Adrian Plass has written a book called The Unlocking, published by the Bible Reading Fellowship. Today, Adrian talks about being willing to rely on God's help when the crunch comes. When the crunch comes. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. But, sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? Now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have, and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? But Lord, Gideon asked, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you. Gideon was going to take a lot of convincing, and I don't blame him. I know how it feels to be inwardly programmed for failure. I've felt small and useless. I've experienced the gnawing fear that when some awful crunch situation comes along, I shall betray the people who rely on me most. Sometimes, usually in the middle of the night, I've been gripped by panic as my imagination pumps out grisly scenes in which members of my family die dreadful deaths while I stand uselessly aside, paralysed by fear and inadequacy. Now, curiously, although these fears are completely genuine, my response on the only occasion when I was tested in this way suggested that they might be quite unfounded. I'm aware that this will seem a very trivial incident, especially to those of my listeners who've rescued people from burning buildings and wrestled with man-eating tigers, but it meant a lot to me. Bridget and I, and baby Katie, had driven out to a nearby village for tea. It was a good tea, and later, as we headed for the car... I did a little skip of happiness with Katie in my arms and suddenly felt my balance slipping irretrievably away. I was about to fall flat on my face with Katie sandwiched between my considerable bulk and the hard tarmac of the car park. I didn't make any heroic decisions, I can assure you there was no time for that. Katie not being hurt was all that mattered. Somehow I managed to twist my body in mid-topple, as it were, so that I landed on my back instead of my front, I ended up winded and a bit bruised and scraped, but Katie was fine, if a little puzzled by our new game. In the end, you see, it was the relationship that produced the spontaneous response, and of course it would have been exactly the same for any parent who loved his child. I suspect that we would be well advised to concentrate on developing our closeness to Jesus rather than dwelling gloomily on the probability that we will let him down. 
because it will be the reality or otherwise of that relationship that makes the difference when the crunch does come. Pray with me. Father, when the testing time comes, may our love for you be greater than our fear. We would like to be so close to you that we're able to not only say like Jesus at Gethsemane, not my will be done but yours, but mean it as well. Help us, please. Amen. And again, we'll hear more from Adrian Plass and his book, The Unlocking, next Sunday. And that's it for Heart and Soul once again. Thank you for listening. Our thanks, too, to Adrian Plass there, Willie Wright, Malcolm Guite and the late Les Brown for their contributions this morning. And not forgetting Sam Ross, who puts all the bits and pieces that uh, David and I do together to make it into the programme that you've just heard. But for now, David Wilkin and I will wish you a good day, a good week and God's blessing and we leave you with a song that originated in the Salvation Army. But here it's the All Souls musicians who play us out with I'll Go in the Strength of the Lord. Shall have big